and welcome to the Nail Your Nutrition podcast, a podcast focused on nutrition, fueling, intuitive eating, and training for endurance activity. Each week, we put out evidence-based information to help you learn to fuel adequately to ace your training and achieve PRs. You'll hear interviews with sports nutrition experts, new and seasoned athletes, and athletes looking to balance ambitions of fitness and training with family and professional goals. I'm Sarah Schlichter, a sports dietitian and mom to two girls. I'm a huge believer in merging the principles of sports nutrition and intuitive eating. Life's too short to not enjoy your food. You can learn more about my work at bucketlisttummy.com. And I'm Marita, a sports dietitian and mom to two boys in San Antonio, Texas. I work with endurance athletes at my private practice, Eat to Compete. My goal is to help runners and triathletes learn to fuel their training with intuitive eating, heal disordered eating, and become a happier and more resilient athlete. We are two sports dietitians and moms here to break down the nutrition science to make training more fun and approachable for you. Whether you're a novice athlete, a weekend warrior, a mom trying to fit in a consistent exercise schedule, or a top finisher at big races, we want to help you understand the importance of fueling well. We're so glad you're here and would appreciate you sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, like your favorite running buddy or a coworker who trains too. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends. Today we have the privilege of having Amelia Boone on the podcast. Sarah and I were so incredibly enthralled when we reached out to Amelia and she agreed to come on our podcast. This is a huge honor and we were honestly a bit starstruck and kind of couldn't believe she said yes. In case you don't know, Amelia Boone is a full-time attorney, obstacle racer, and ultra runner. She's a four-time world champion and one of the most decorated obstacle racers in history. She has been on the podium over 50 times and won over 30 times in obstacle racing, including the Spartan World Champion in 2013, three-time winner of the world's Toughest Mudder, and three-time death race finisher. Amelia is also a writer for major magazines like Outside Online Magazine. Not only that, but Amelia has been very open about her eating disorder and how her recovery has been for most of her adult life. She graciously answered our questions about her ongoing recovery, and we so appreciate her honesty. There are many good takeaways from this episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Let's dive in. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're Mm -hmm. from, and what you do. Yeah. So uh, my name is Amelia Boone. Um, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. And describing myself is always kind of a hard thing um, because <laughs> uh, I think I I think like so many people, I play many different roles, but um, I um, am a world champion obstacle racer. I'm an ultra runner. I am an attorney and I am a big, I am an eating disorder recovery and a big ag- advocate for, um, you know, eating disorder awareness and everything that goes with that. I love it. Yeah. So many diverse things and things that kind of intersect too, which is great. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How did you get started in distance running? So I actually um, was not a runner growing up. I didn't run in high school. Um, I played team sports in high in in you know growing up and in high school. And so we'd run to like stay in shape or whatever. Um, but actually, I mean, honestly, and is that being diagnosed with an eating disorder in high school kind of stamped out any kind of athletics for me for a long time. Um, I think at that time uh, it was very much 
if you have an eating disorder, you're not allowed to participate in any types of movements or exercise or athletics. And so I was not an athlete for a very long time until I I went through law school, graduated law school and started a law firm in Chicago and actually, um, was kind of dabbling back into movement. And, um, I thought, you know, I was in a good spot at that point and I had a coworker like come in my office, say, there's this race called like a tough mutter. We should all do it. And I, I was, I looked at, it, I was like, Oh, that looks interesting. I've never run 10 miles before in my life. I don't know if I can do it, but I was kind of intrigued and decided that like, well, okay, this gives me a goal. This gives me like something to do with my movement. Um, and, uh, so went out, I ran that first race and I adored it and just wanted to run more and more. And, um, it kind of spiraled from there, (laughs) ended up racing really heavily within like the obstacle racing circuit and then moved on to ultra running, um, a few years after that. And have won several races. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's funny. I started I started obstacle racing like at the beginning when it was formed, you know, 2011. It was like the first world championship and no, no none of us knew what we were doing. Um and so I think there's that part of me I was like, was I actually good or was I just good because nobody else was doing it? Um but uh yeah, I had a pretty long streak of um of uh, some dominance at that sport. Yeah, then you must be good if you had dominance for sure. (laughs) You know, it it was this perfect balance for me because I think in my life, I've always been kind of like a jack of all trades type of person is that I've never been really, really, really good at one thing, but I've been like pretty good at a bunch of things, which is kind of what you need in obstacle racing was like the speed and the endurance and the strength. Um, and so it just, it kind of played to all of that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times and you have been very open and transparent about your eating disorder history and journey um, through Instagram and through different articles like with Outside Online and Runner's World. So how has that impacted your day-to-day today and, you know, running and any other endurance activity right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing to think about when I – I, I, I started to, I started to kind of relapse into my disorder, um, a few years after I started into athletics again, and it it wasn't intentional. It was one of those kind of insidious things that kind of creeps up on you until you, and like all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is a problem again, Mm -hmm. but it was enough for it. It wasn't a problem enough for me because I realized like, I told myself I'm still winning. I'm winning world championships. Clearly, if I wasn't feeding myself appropriately, I wouldn't be winning. And then you kind of learn that your body does incredible things until it's just like, nope, can't do it anymore. Um, And so when I finally hit a time, it was like in 2016, I had a stress fracture in my femur, which was then followed by a stress fracture in my sacrum, which was then followed by another, I think I had six stress fractures within three years. And um, so when I finally went into treatment, And I remember like the physical changes on me were pretty obvious and people could tell that there was something up, but I think I was just trying to be like, no, you know, like this just, when I finally went into treatment and I thought about like, okay, do I, do I talk about this publicly? Um, and, um, I, 
And I remember like, if I talk about this, I can't unring that bell. You know, if I put that out publicly, like people are going to know, and then people may question, is she okay to be an athlete? Like, is this part of the problem? And I frankly didn't know. And, um, so there was some fear around that, but what I didn't expect with all of that was the overwhelming positive response and feedback that I would get from people and understanding that this is unfortunately such a common problem and such a common issue. Mm -hmm. And that in, especially in the endurance world, it's almost kind of normalized. And it's like, oh, you have an eating disorder. So does everybody else. But like, it shouldn't be that way. And so I think still I've gotten very comfortable with it. I was worried for a while. People are going to be judging everything I did and everything like, oh, should she be running hundred milers like in recovery from an eating disorder? And um, you know, and I had to constantly ask myself that question every single day. And I think anybody in recovery needs to be curious about that. Um, but like by far, you know, it's been such an overwhelmingly positive experience. Um, in like being able to like help myself through being able to express myself and who I am and then also being able to help others. Right. So you said that it kind of started in, in high school, but you didn't enter any treatment then, right? I, I actually did. So I, um, I was hospitalized when I was 16 for like six weeks. So like pure medical stabilization, um, you know, and, and it was bad and I don't, it's funny. I I don't like try to, I think I've kind of blocked out large portions of my life in that, in that regard, because it's kind of a traumatic thing to happen to you. Like I was literally on bed rest in a hospital bed for six weeks. Um, And so, and then I was in and out of treatment throughout high school and college. After college, my, my college tried to kick me out a few times because of like medical issues. Um, and, um, I finally went to, I went to residential treatment right after college. Um, and I was there for a bit and that's where I finally got like my first like firm hold on recovery, Mm -hmm. um, that, that lasted, you know, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. When I um when I was a clinical dietitian, I did a rotation at a children's hospital and we saw many mm-hmm. uh mostly young girls. Like I think the youngest I saw was probably about 7 on like wow. like you on bed rest yeah. with an eating disorder and it's it's a tricky thing to navigate especially with family. It's mm-hmm. very it's difficult. So. Yeah, I mean, I I remember and I don't I it took me a long time to realize just how hard that was on my parents yeah. to like literally drop their daughter off at a hospital while she's kicking and screaming and crying and being like, no, you need to be here. Right. And they honestly didn't think I needed to be there. Like I, I had been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder when I was younger, like probably when I was like eight or nine. So they just kind of thought it was just another manifestation of that and mm-hmm. that it was a phase I would get over. And, um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's incredibly hard for, for a young person to understand why it's necessary, especially because like how hard it is on the internal organs as you're growing, you know? Oh yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And with probably long-term consequences potentially as well. Yeah. 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 How was your uh, time at the eating disorder um, treatment facility? Like you've been a couple of times, like, did you feel like each one was a little different or? 
Yeah. You know, it's been interesting because I, um, uh, my eating disorder treatment has spanned like over 20 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was first hospitalized in the late nineties, like the treatment models totally, it was just emerging. I remember the clinic in Portland, the Cartini clinic was like one of the first places that treated eating disorders in adolescence. And, um, and then even when I was in residential treatment after college, it was very much, it was like a 12 step program and like movement was still, it was like, you can't exercise. Like that is not, you're not allowed to exercise. Like that's not healthy. Like that just needs to be off the table. And, um, I think for many years after that, when I was like, well, like maybe I, I the, the thing that caused me to avoid going in, back into treatment was like being like how restrictive it was. And, um, then, you know, kind of learning. And I, I have, I fortunately learned this through a runner's world article from a different, um, from another track athlete. Well, I'm not a track athlete, but from a track athlete who had been to Opal food and body in Seattle and the fact that they specifically worked with athletes. And I think at that point I started to realize, I'm like, oh, the model is changing, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and that doesn't mean that I, I literally, when I went to Opal, I was 35. I was like, I'm way too old for this is what I'm thinking in my mind. You know, I'm like, this is a young person's disease. And, um, I remember the first week I was like every single day, I was like, I want to leave. This is not for me. I want to leave. And that was the same with every single residential facility. And, and I've told people who have like now reached out to me for advice. I was like, you are going to want to leave. Like, Absolutely. You're going to, but like stick with, give it at least two weeks and like get over the hump because it is just such a shock, you know, and you, you have, somebody has to go to the bathroom with you. Like you have no, you feel like you're being watched at all times because you right. are honestly. Right. And that's a hard thing, especially as an independent adult, but like eating disorders are such insidious, sneaky things that like, it just, it has to be done, you know? Right. Right. Well, you've mentioned this a couple of times. Do you think if the model included more movement earlier on, it would have been easier for you to have a different recovery? I absolutely do. Because I think like, look, like abstinence from something can, can work, yeah. but it's not sustainable. Like right. you can't tell somebody like you can't exercise for the rest of your life because of this. And so I didn't know, I didn't have the tools to understand like, is this movement disordered? Mm -hmm. Like, is, am I doing this or am I, is this coming from a healthy place? Like I didn't know. And that, I mean, that was a huge reason why I went back into treatment was to figure out, I was like, is running, is, is racing part of my disorder? Can I untangle that? Right. Um, and can I do that in a way that brings me joy and it's not like compulsive. And I learned a lot about myself in that process that there are certain forms of exercise that like for me would, if I engage in them would be like a compulsive way to like burn calories, right. you know, that'd be the only reason. Whereas there are other forms like running that it's like, I would do this regardless of like, if somebody told me like running has zero effect on the shape of your body, you could gain weight running. I'd be like still doing it, you know? Right. Um, and I think that's just like, I think if, the model had been different when I was younger, it would have been way more sustainable. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you feel like besides that, what has been really helpful in changing your mentality around your body? Like, has it just been continued therapy or affirmations or feeling differently 
for those endurance activities? What do you think has been really beneficial? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's still a constant struggle. Um, I think that, um, I don't, I think what the biggest thing for me is understanding like the concept of body neutrality Mm -hmm. and like the body working as that. I don't have to, like, you don't have to be body positive. I don't have to love my body. Like I probably always want to pick things apart, you know, or things like that. But like, focusing on what it can do for me. And then also realizing, and and you don't, and, and most people don't realize this when they're young, cause you feel totally invincible, but like understanding now at this point that like, this is the only body that I get in my life. Right. Like this body needs to last me until I'm hopefully 80, 90, hundred years old. And if I don't take care of it, like it's not going to last me. And I think that that is really what it goes back to for me always that it's like, it doesn't need to be this, what you look on the outside has, doesn't mean anything about the health of it on the inside. Um, and there are so many things that I wish so many health issues that I deal with now that I was like, wow, had I properly fed myself throughout my teenage years and my twenties, like maybe this wouldn't be an issue. And I'm sure that when I'm 70 years old, I'm going to be like, yeah, that probably wasn't a great idea at the time, you know, (laughs) but it's hard to, it's hard to understand that, you know, at that moment. Right. In the moment. Yeah. It's way easier said than done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I know you have an outside online article, which I love so much and I (laughs) wish they didn't have a paywall, but I do understand that they do. So not everybody has read all of your amazing articles, but you had some really good advice for, starting to reconnect with those hunger and fullness cues. Um, do you have advice to share with our listeners that's helped you that you feel like has really helped reconnect with those? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like I forever, and I, I I do believe this is a pretty common experience in with eating disorders is that you totally mess up your hunger and fullness cues. Mm -hmm. Like you, for me, I was terrified of being full. I was terrified of being full. Like I, for probably 20 years, never let myself feel full. Cause if I felt full, I felt like I was out of control or et cetera, et cetera. And so I think for me, it's always, it's a very like mindful approach of being, what am I like, what does my body need right now? And like understanding, I'm like, what am I feeling? And not attaching judgment to that. Cause it's like, sometimes my body wants a pint of ice cream and like, that is okay. Sometimes my body wants a big plate of vegetables and like, that is okay. And there is room for all of those, you know, at the same time. And also like, at Opal and I've like continued this afterwards is doing a lot of like journaling around hunger and fullness. So like when I sit down to a meal, like we would do from like a zero to 10 scale, like what is your hunger level? And then afterwards, what is your fullness level? And like, how does that make you feel? And so I think it's constantly kind of being curious around that. And like, there are sometimes you're going to undershoot that. Sometimes you're going to overshoot that. Um, but the only way to learn that and to reconnect that is through experimentation and trial and error, you know? Yep. Yep. It's so funny. I do that with, with my clients who that exact thing, even just for Mm -hmm. one meal a day, I start them with, and it's always so overwhelming. And that's almost always 
the hardest piece for them, I would say, out of right. everything we work with. They're like, ah, uh, no, I didn't print off the, sh- the you know, the, the scale. I didn't save it to my phone like you told me to. I just, I just haven't done it yet. It usually takes at least a month of working together for them to start to try and reconnect with that and tap into that because that's kind of the scariest part. Like, oh, I really have to actually address and work on this. Like, this is going to be mm-hmm. work. Right. And I mean, it's for so many people, like I am envious of, and I have friends who just like, they know, like they're so in tune with their hunger and fullness because like, that's how they were born. They never messed with it. They never gave into diet culture and they've just always listened to it. And like the process of getting back to that once you've strayed from it is really hard and scary for sure. It it is. It is hard. It is a lot of work and it's, it's difficult and it can take um, some time. And a lot of people, you know, want those quick fixes of like, I just want to be able to do this and not have to work on it. So it takes a while. And that's why I really like that scale, like you mentioned, because it does help mm-hmm. you tap in like I'm zero where I'm starving or I'm 10 where I'm like a Thanksgiving full. Like where do I right. typically fall on there? And that's that's hard for people to to tap in a couple of times with those meals. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. We had a really good question from a follower um, about defining the line between um, competitive and training towards those, you know, ambitious goals of maybe getting back out there and um, being competitive without falling back into your eating disorder. How do you straddle that line? And I know you haven't really um, competed in a little bit. You've been doing some different fun activities, which we'll talk about later. But if you thought about that, how, how has that um, gone so far? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, for me, competition, and maybe this is, this is how I view it is that if I want to compete, if I want to like be able to be out there and I've, I've done, you know, um, like a several hundred milers since coming out of Opal and, you know, like done a bunch of different races and things like that. Mm -hmm. But like, I tell myself like to be able to do that, like I need to feed myself appropriately. Otherwise I'm going to be too injured to even get to the start line. Right. You know, I, I do believe that the hard part is, um, and, and I'm totally honest, I'm going to be totally honest here is that I am not as, you know, before I went into treatment, like I was winning every single race when I wasn't injured, I was crushing it, you know? And since, since coming out of treatment, like it really, I haven't really gotten back to that same level. And there could be a number, the reason things is like, there could be a number of reasons for that. One, I am four years older. Uh, you know, I'm 39 now. Um, two, I moved to altitude, like that messes things up with you. And like, and also sometimes it's just like, it takes your body a while to kind of like trust you again and to understand. And so I, I still have that competitive fire, you know, and I still want to be like regain, like not regain. I hate that word, but I still have that fire to be competitive, but I don't want to let it consume me to the point where it's like, I used to think I used to have my self-worth tangled up in winning and competition too. And so I think sometimes taking a step back from that and being like, huh, I can be happy without competing and I can be doing cool things without the competition aspect. And then when you go and compete being like, that was fun. That was great. And like, didn't do so well, but like, doesn't, doesn't like affect my self-worth 
Um, and that, I mean, look like that's an ongoing, ongoing struggle for me. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance that mental and like physical health when you're injured? Like as someone who I personally have, I feel like I always get injured. So I could totally relate to that. I know you had an article recently about being the the athlete who's constantly injured and that is so frustrating. And, um, mm-hmm. I think we got this question from a, a follower and I was like, Oh yes, I definitely want to ask that too, because sometimes we tend to use endurance activity as our mental health, um, escape and, and, um, therapy almost in a way, but then also we do enjoy those physical health benefits and love to compete. Like you said, mm-hmm. so how do you balance that? If, if at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, like I've had long periods of injury. I was in crutches for like six months at one point, you know? So it's like, and I remember I, I tell, I always tell people, like the first few weeks are the hardest, like the first week or two, like you're going to be within, with, within, in withdrawal, probably like it is literally like you feel like you're going through withdrawal right. of like your day-to-day routines. You see people running down the road. You want to throw things at them, you know, because <laughs> yeah. you can't do it. And, um, I, and I remember when I first got injured, people were like, well, use this time to like find new hobbies and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't find new hobby. Like this is dumb. Um, but I also like, I think there, there is some beauty in taking a step back and slowing down. And I always try and reframe it as I'm like, all right, my body needs some rest right now. And like, it's telling me something. And like, this is the time when I try and like regenerate and, um, like slow down. And that doesn't mean that you have to be totally inactive. Like, I really picked up swimming through all of my stress fractures and was never the biggest fan of it. And I was really bad at it. Um, but like you learn different ways to like still fill that need for the, you know, the endorphins or like for me, so this is the biggest thing is like, I think everything in sport for me is like, I am really big into trying to master and to learn. Like I want, to like master something. So in time of injury, I'm like, well, I'm really bad at swimming. Like, let's see what I can learn about the sport. Like, let's see that, you know? And then also at the same time, if you don't want to do a different activity, don't do it. You know, like, frankly, your body will probably heal faster if you're not cross training for like 20 hours a week. Right. (laughs) So, but it is, I mean, it's, it's a total loss of identity. It's a total just, it's a totally messes with the mind. And if anybody really, I, I do on my website still have a bunch of old blogs where I literally like blogged through all of my injury cycles. And, um, you know, I think, and I read a bunch of other people's when I was going through it. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, if people need, if want a resource, there's a bunch on there about just mentally coping with it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And we'll definitely link that in the show notes for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So you were swimming and now you've been doing a lot of biking, which mm-hmm. is fun. I know you said you're, you're just having a year of doing different stuff and you did rag Bri, mm-hmm. which is really cool. My husband has done that race. With oh, nice. Yeah. yeah oh, the it. air force team. They're mm-hmm. so great. They go around and fix everybody's bikes. Yeah. Yeah. He loved it. He wants to do it next year. We're actually moving um, to Omaha. So he's like, Oh, Oh. I get to do this every year now. So he's so totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it's such a good race and it's so fun. And it's, I think the biking community is maybe just a, well, it depends on what kind of cycling. (laughs) 
<laughs> the okay. rat the rag bri community is not at all kind like competitive. Yeah, it's exactly. literally like a party on wheels. So it right. definitely depends. Yes. Right. Yes. So you yeah, you've been doing a lot of different stuff. And so yeah. are you are, I mean, are you going to keep with that or are you going to, do you think you're going to get back into running or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm doing kind of like everything right now, you know? And so it's like, I had, I, I ran a hundred miler earlier this year and then like, was kind of like, okay, like there's my race, like did that. And then it's like, okay, like, let's, like, let's go and adventure and try some new things. Yeah. And, um, and I think that there is, a beauty and being like a fully rounded athlete too, because yeah. also I know like now in times when like, like I had an Achilles thing pop up after, after my hundred miler. And I'm like, instead of just despairing and crying for weeks on end, I'm like, whatever, I can get on the bike, you know, or like, and I, so I do think for me, it's just better to be fully well-rounded. And I, and I like that. And I, 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 you know, I firmly believe it makes you a stronger athlete, um, in your chosen sport. Um, and so like, you know, I still, my heart is always with running and like, I, I, every single year I have these like big plans of every single race I'm going to do. And they always, you know, like things happen and injuries happen and stuff like that. But like, I'm never going to give up. I'm still going to like go for it. Um, but then it's also nice to know that there are other ways to explore the world aside from running for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you swim and you bike and you run, you might need to do a track one. Um, <laughs> I draw the line there. <laughs> Unless it's like an off-road triathlon. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I am acutely aware that the, type A kind of um, mm -hmm. triathlete community would probably not be the best for my mental health, which is why I've kind of avoided roads as a runner. And I mm -hmm. stick to more of like the trail community yeah. just because, you know, I know myself. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. And that's good. You have that self-awareness because that's very true. Very yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, are you training for anything now? Yeah. So I, um, <laughs> I am either – I. I'm most likely going to go back to an obstacle race in a few weeks. Um, the 24 hour world's toughest matter, um, 24 hour obstacle race that I, I've won it three times. And, you know, back, like back in the day, it was like 2012 through 2015. Yeah. Um, and, and I've run it a few times since, and I'm, I'm, I'm not as competitive as I used to be, you know, but like, it's home to me. That's where I got my start. That's how all of this started. And so it's just this race that it's like, I always want to go back. Like, I want to see the people. I want to see what I can do out there. And, um, like, you know, actually like running is feeling really good right now and feeling pretty in shape. So, you know, we'll see. That's yeah. great. So when you go back to races you've won before, do you feel the pressure to win again? Or do you feel like there's a target on your back a little bit? I, I, I used to, yeah, I used to be paralyzed by that. I used to just be totally paralyzed that like, oh crap, like, like I, if I don't win this, what are people going to think of me and right. blah, blah, blah. And then you, like, you start to realize like every athlete kind of goes through that. And like, you're going to have a period of where you do pretty well. And then like other people are also good as well. And I think now I just like hope that I give my all, like I went back to this race yet last year and I, I got second. So I did pretty well, but like, yeah. and everyone was like, Oh, are you upset? You didn't win. And I'm like the, the woman who won, I'm like, she was better than me that day. She was, you know? And like, I am, as long as I can say, I gave it my all out there and I did the best that I did. Like, 
then like that to me is a victory. Like I ran a trail marathon like two weeks ago, totally got my butt whooped by like the women. Like, I mean, but I ran as hard as I could. And, but like, there were just better people out there. And I think that has been like a long process for me to like come to that piece and being like, that's okay. It just wasn't my day. Somebody had a better day, you know? Right. Right. And yeah. that's easier said than done to come oh, to that for conclusion. Sure. For sure. For sure. Like ego is like a really tough thing. And I think it's hard because people are like, oh, poor you. You were a world champion and now you're blah, blah, blah. You're sad that you're no longer that. I'm like, no, everybody, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that the height of what you were like, I think we all have issues comparing previous versions of ourselves to where right. we are now right. and just being able to accept that space that you're in now is like a very hard thing, but a very powerful thing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, how do you fuel for those long races? What's yeah. your fuel and go to? Uh, well, I eat a pop tart before every single race oh, wow. I have since 2013. Um, when I, I was winning the Spartan race world championships and, um, the race director yells at me mid race. Cause I was just, I was, I was crushing it. And he was like, Amelia, what did you have for breakfast this morning? And I yelled back pop tarts, which is true. <laughs> I did. It's like easily digestible fuel source for mm-hmm. me, carbs. And so then it's always been a superstition. So I always, always have a pop tart before a race. I, um, I actually try to eat solid foods as much as possible um, during long races, Um, like shorter stuff, like the trail marathon I ran, like I relied all on gels because it's, you know, like shorter, but um, I love, I do like mashed potato packets, you know, like baby food, reusable Mm -hmm. containers you can get. And I put mashed potatoes in there and like those like work really well for me. I love um, pierogies and rice balls, and I just find that my body works better, especially if I'm moving at lower intensities with like with food and not like energy gels or like and things like that. Um, And they just taste better, so (laughs) I get kind of gaggy with gels after a while. Oh yeah, (laughs) Um, you know. So I um, and that was and to be honest. Fueling during races used to be a really hard thing for me because I think in the back of your mind, if you've been through disordered eating or eating disorder, you're thinking about the number of calories you need to take in Mm -hmm. to like run a hundred miler. And it can be very daunting. And I think in a lot of ways I would bonk in races because I would underfuel. Right. And now it's just like, it doesn't even cross my mind to, and which is like, for me, is like the biggest victory is that I'm just like, I can fuel myself during the races. Like I need to, the number of calories an hour that I need to get in, you know? Right. Right. And so. those rice balls and pierogies, do you keep them like on, um, at the aid, sta- not aid stations. Cause I know they're not technically called that for right. trail, but like when, like your stash. And all of that? Yeah. Like in drop bags or yeah. if I have crew that will carry them, um, things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. and Yeah. And so pretty much, um, just like putting them in places where I can pick them up during races for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. I love the mashed potato trick. I, with my ultra runners I work with, I always say that like mm-hmm. get some roasted potatoes, put a ton of salt on them and, and put them in a baggie or like you said, put them in the, yeah. little, the little gel things. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It works. It's, it's magic for me for sure. Yes. Yes. They're so great. Do you get sick of them? I don't. 
I don't. And I, I actually, I, I, I use the instant mashed potatoes. So yeah, I'm I was going like, to say, how many do you make before? Like, <laughs> I mean, I probably have, it depends. I think for my last hundred miler and, and like, clearly I'm eating a bunch of stuff beyond this. Um, but I think I had like eight or 10 packets of like, nice. that were probably about maybe about 150 calories each. Yeah. Um, and, um, I also, and then, so, cause I'm always like, for long stuff like that, I'm like, I need to have salty options and I need to have sweet options. Cause you don't know like what your body is going to tolerate at that right. point. Like yep. hundred milers are eating contests to be honest. And mm-hmm. it's like, whoever can eat the best, like does the best. Yes. Um, so my, my sweet go-to are actually little Debbie oatmeal cream pies because they, oh, yeah. they, because chewing is really hard during yes. a long race. Like if you, eat, I can't eat pop tarts during a race because they're too dry. Like they're too dry. You have oh, to have yeah. too much water, and they're heavy and they're crumbly. Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies like kind of melt in your mouth, right. and it's just like like solid carbs, instant carbs. So I'm a big fan of those too. That is a really good tip, especially because if they get a little bit smashed, you're it's fine. You it's totally use, fine. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to worry about them getting a little bit squished. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, I'm, that's I'm a really great. <laughs> those those are my those are my secret weapon. I love that. So, that's great. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing with that. I'll definitely have to mm-hmm. factor that one away for for future athletes too. Like yeah. get those little Debbie ones. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just a quick break to share this week's sponsor with you. This week's sponsor is Nature Nate's Honey. Honey isn't just honey. There's an art to making great honey, and it starts with a passion to do things right. That's how they do it at Nature Nates. They do it right, making sure every bottle is as pure and simple as it is straight from the hive. Look for Nate's bright orange honey bottle the next time you shop for groceries, or try their single-serving packets for fueling during your run, like we talk about often on this podcast. So um, to pivot a little bit, you wrote a popular and probably you know a little bit controversial to some people um, piece in Outside Magazine last year about your uncertainty um, about motherhood, being an elite athlete and suffering from an eating disorder before. And you, you know, wrote that you weren't sure if it was in the cards for you and even how you felt about that. And so um, present day, you did freeze your eggs, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure was a very rigorous and stressful process. What made you decide to share such, such an intimate personal (laughs) experience and process? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think forever in my life, I had always been kind of undecided on children. Like it just didn't, and I, you know, when you're younger, you're just like, kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It will happen like one day maybe, or like, I, I will know for certain at some point. And, um, I went through a very intense breakup, like, uh, like right when I was 37. And then all of a sudden I went through this huge wave of grief that I didn't expect, like laying awake at night crying because I was like, maybe this is it for me. I can never have children. Like I'm and like, yes, there are always, you know, as people, a lot of feedback that I would get when I, you know, talk to people is like, well, you can always adopt or you, which is great. And adoption is wonderful. And, um, or you can have a child on your own and it's like, yeah, you can. Um, but I still was just like feeling this, like, what is this grief? And like, why is this going through me? I didn't even know if I wanted children. And, um, it's kind of like in sharing about my eating disorder and everything. Like 
I, I think I, sometimes I put things out in the world to kind of process through it, like to, to, to understand. And, um, I, and it was, and that was exactly why I was like, I need to write about this. And when I write about it and I like put it out in the world, like it actually brings me more clarity. And also like, we don't think enough, especially as an athlete, like I had a couple things going on, like being an athlete. And then also the fact that being in recovery for an eating disorder, like I have always been terrified about passing this on to a child because there is, I know, look, like I have eating disorders in my family. Like there is pretty strong genetic link and also just being worried that like, would I model if I wasn't fully recovered, would I model poor behaviors for my child? And, um, so it was a lot of complex things going on, you know? And, um, I think, And I was super fortunate to have the option through my employer to like cover a lot of the costs of egg freezing. And so I decided, I'm like, well, you know, like, I don't know if this is in the cards for me. And like, clearly egg freezing is not fail proof. Like, actually they don't talk enough about much how like, it's like the odds of actually being able to use them is actually very, very right. low, right. you know, um, that is not ta- people talk about it. Like it's an insurance policy. It's definitely right. not at all. Um, but I just, I hadn't ever heard other voices in the athletic realm and the Eden sort of realm talk right. about it. And so I was just like, I, I wanted to, and, um, I just couldn't read the comments on that. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, piece. what did you feel like? <laughs> it was, Oh God, it was mainly men too. I have to be honest. It was mainly men. Um, and like, and it's just like, I don't know. People who thought I was whining or like, Oh, well, it was just, everybody has an opinion. And then it's also when I tell people, people get really upset when I like say like, well, I am undecided and people like, Oh, if you don't have children, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Like literally that was told to me a lot. And, um, and it's just so weird that we feel the need to like opine on how other and people project. live their lives. Right. Like, can't we just be okay? Like being undecided right. and not knowing, you know, and still to this day, like, I don't know. I actually, the egg freezing experience for me actually made me realize, like, I don't necessarily think I want my own biological children. Um, I do believe that if I decide to have children, the route that really calls to me is actually fostering in older children, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who are in their teens and are probably going to age out of the foster system and hopefully fostering and and maybe adopting. Um, that really, really calls to me, you know, and just being able to be like, yep, that's how I feel and not giving into societal pressures around. Right. Well, did you feel like you got a lot of messages that, were varied about that? Like I did. I mean, and I got so many women who actually were like, I feel the exact same way. Like who were like, thank you for putting it into words because I always felt like at some point I would know. And I still don't know at this point. And like, I'm running out of time to like figure this out. And so 
by and large, as with everything else, 99% of the messages were incredibly supportive and positive. And there's always just like those one or two people that get under your skin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That have no business being there in the comment section. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, um, I read a blog called A Cup of Joe. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah, for sure. She always... Yeah, she always posts like really thought-provoking things like that. Like, how many children do you want? Or what if you decide not to have any children? And the comments are always so Mm -hmm. fascinating. And there's usually hundreds, like 400, 500 comments. And I always try to read as many as I can before my own children um, come disrupted. Right. (laughs) But they're they're so interesting and varied. And it's almost always like, oh, thank you for having this because it's always – the opposite. Right. It's always how many children can I have or, or um, when should I start having children? It's never, do I actually want right. to have children? Like it's, there's, it's, there's always a really good um, valuable. Yeah. I mean, and it's that. like the number of people who said I was selfish for like not wanting to have kids. Yeah. And then, and then there's this part of me and I'm a counter argument. And I was like, I mean, aren't in a way, like if you're having so many people told me like, well, you should have children. So somebody will take care of you when you're older. And I'm like, isn't that selfish? Like, isn't that a selfish reason to have children? Like, I mean, there's, there's so many, but like, then you you say that and then it becomes even, but like, it's just really, really refined how I think about all of this for sure. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure you'll be able to take care of yourself when you're older. (laughs) Like, I don't, that that doesn't seem like a valid argument. Right. (laughs) And there's also no guarantee your children are going to be there for you either. Exactly. Like, so yeah. 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 That's, that's crazy. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and of it's course. so interesting how you've had that different kind of perspective shift now mm-hmm. after actually freezing. Right. It was kind of like, um, it was kind of the opposite of what I've expected and being going yeah. through it with, I saw so many women who were spending thousands and thousands, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to have their own biological child. And right me being going through a round of it and being like, I don't think I want it that badly, you know? Right. Um, and just being okay with that, you know? Right. So, right. So it took that to get to that realization. Totally. I mean, and it was tough and the hormones really screwed me up for a bit. So (laughs) not something to do lightly for sure. (laughs) Oh, I can only imagine. Did you have to put training on pause too? Yes. Yeah. So you can't like, because of the risk of like ovarian torsion, basically your Mm. ovaries get so full, they can like flip over and like, like basically you can lose an ovary. Like you can't do any type of like impact for like two weeks or something like that. I think, no, it was more than that. In total, I think it took about three weeks off from running. Um, okay. around. So not too bad, not too bad, yeah. but, um, yeah, you know, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. It's been <laughs> so great. We're so, so excited to have you on. Yeah. Um, I just have a couple rapid fire questions if you want to answer those to wrap up. Of course. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So just think just whatever comes to your mind. Don't think too much about it. So Oh God, I'm the worst at overthinking. Okay. But no, yes. it's okay. It's okay if you over it's okay. Yeah. But what is your favorite weeknight meal? Oh, I am actually a huge fan of like big frittatas or like Ooh. egg scrambles with like vegetables and stuff like that. And like just easy go-to. Yeah. Love that. What's mm-hmm. your favorite piece of workout clothes? My split shorts. 
total full split shorts. I like feeling like I have nothing on my legs. That's So what brand is that? So I actually developed them with my sponsor, Ultimate Direction. Um, oh, that's so I have, I have I have my own signature split shorts. Yes. Oh my gosh. I did not know that. <laughs> I will definitely have to check those out and link those. They're, cool. they're very polarizing. You either, like most people hate stuff that tiny, but if you love stuff that tiny, then they're for you. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite piece of workout equipment? Ooh, so like something um, you don't have to like tech or um, yeah 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 yeah. Like um, honestly, I'm looking at it right now in my house. Um, the ski erg. I don't know if oh. anybody if you're familiar with the ski erg. Um, but in terms of if you are a person who sustains lower body injuries, um, yeah. it's a great piece of equipment. Um for, you know, if you're kind of laid up for a bit, um, skier is, is a killer, killer piece of equipment. Awesome. I love that. And then what's your favorite show to binge watch? <sighs> Great British baking show. Oh yes. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I don't bake. Show. I don't bake oh, at you all. Don't? That's so I cool. don't, but I, um, I just love the storylines. I love them. They're, <laughs> They're all so, so nice to each other. Yes, they are all so nice to each other and you root for everybody and you don't want anybody to leave. Right. And beyond that, the other one is um, Selling Sunset because oh. I am obsessed with real estate. Those are so different. So yeah, so that's bad. so funny. But yeah. Oh my goodness. I've never watched uh, a show. I know people love it, but I mean it's just it's it's out there. So <laughs> I'm like, is this real life? But yeah. All the drama with their with right. real estate. That's so right. Great. Well, yeah. Amelia, tell people where they can find and connect with you if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at ARBoon11. I joined Instagram late, so everyone's like, why isn't Amelia Boone? I'm like, it was taken. <laughs> um <laughs> And all iterations of it were taken. Um, Twitter is at Amelia Boone. Um, and uh, I, I do have a website that is not updated, but all of my old blog posts are there. Um, and I used to blog prolifically. And I hope that blogging comes back soon oh, as a medium. Um, and that is AmeliaBooneRacing.com. That's so great. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah thanks for having me. That wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review so others can find it more easily. You can also stay in touch with us by joining our Facebook group, Nutrition for Runners. If you have any requests for future episode topics and more, email us at nailyournutritioncourse1 at gmail.com. Happy fueling! Happy fueling!